Well, good morning. I hope you're all cozy, sheltered in place during this coronavirus, keeping each other safe. And I do hope that you have already listened to this passage as Bob Dre's presented it, being the apostle Paul, and that it served your soul. I will be concentrating this morning on Acts chapter 26, verses 24 through 29. So please turn there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence, even together, right now, in various locations, living rooms, snuggled up on a couch, or sitting at a kitchen table. Your word is powerful. Cause your word this morning to our hearts and to our souls to go forth in such a way that it produces what it is sent for. And may that be sanctification, salvation. May it be repentance. May it be joy. Oh, Holy Father, may, may we sit in that auditorium this morning with the Apostle Paul, saying, yes, yes, you made me like you recreated Paul. Not to live for this world, but to live for the world to come. So to that end, guide my words, help me unfold what is here in our passage and cause our hearts to welcome what we see through and in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Here's one of the most important questions that every person needs to answer. Who is crazy in this story? Paul? Or Festus. So if you would look with me to Acts chapter 26, verses 24 and 25. And as he, Paul, was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. So which person is out of his mind as they journey through this world toward death? Christian or the non-Christian? Here's Paul. He's a prisoner. He's in chains because of his passion and his love for God, for his joy in Jesus Christ, his Savior. That's why he's in chains. On the other hand, Governor Festus, 
free. He's actually in worldly control of Paul's situation. He's wealthy. He's in the top 1% economically throughout his known world. But the question is, who's nuts? Paul or Festus? I ran across the following story last week. And as you hear it, you must admit that this Christian brother wasted his life. If Christ did not rise from the dead. But if what Paul is preaching in the auditorium on this day is actually true, then this brother was one of the sanest human beings to ever live. The story takes place back in the 1800s. Peter Cameron Scott a gifted vocalist was on the steps of the opera house ready to pursue a career as a singer when God challenged him. Will you seek a life of self-glory and applause in the entertainment world or will you dedicate your life to my service? He obeyed God's call, received some missionary training, and at age 23 he sailed to Africa. Within a few months, his brother joined him, but the harsh African climate and the environment that became known as the white man's graveyard took its toll. His brother died. And Peter built a crude coffin, dug the grave himself, and buried his brother. Alone at the grave, he recommitted himself to preach the gospel in Africa. His own health broke and he went first to England and then back to the United States in order to recruit others for the cause. In 1895, at the age of 28, he established the African Inland Mission. But just 14 months after he and his party landed on African soil, Peter fell ill and died. After Peter Scott's death, the mission nearly failed as one after another of the workers died. By the summer of 1899, only one missionary remained on the field, but they persisted. And 10 years after the mission's founding, there were 31 missionaries on the field. In the early years, more missionaries died from the harsh conditions than people came to Christ. But still more missionaries came, arriving with their goods packed in coffins. The Africans were amazed at such determination. They said, surely only a message of great importance would inspire such actions. By 1971, there were a million and a half members in the African Inland Church. Was Peter Scott a lunatic? Was he insane? Did he waste his life? Who are the crazy ones walking around planet Earth today? 
Those who live for this present world and all that they can get out of it. Or those who love Jesus and walk with Him in the light of eternity. Jesus answered that question in Mark 8.36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Now, Remember a few weeks back in this passage, Luke set the context. And I tell you, you think about glamour, red carpet of Oscar night. Oh, Luke set it up. The pomp, the circumstance of Festus, King Agrippa and Bernice and all these dignitaries coming into the auditorium this day. And there they sit. And then slowly walks in a little Jewish man with Roman guards. Paul's given the floor to make his defense against the accusations of the Jews. And he will not waste his opportunity to preach the gospel with the hope that the Holy Spirit would move and change people's hearts and eternities. Paul cared about his audience. And that's why he spoke. But suddenly while he's Preaching, Paul is interrupted by the governor. Paul's preaching his eyewitness testimony of the resurrection of Jesus. And Luke tells us, as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus, the governor, said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. But I'm speaking true and rational words. And then Paul, he turned his gaze and he targeted the nominal Jew, King Agrippa II, seeking the salvation of his soul. For the king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly, for I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. Paul's interrupted again, this time by King Agrippa. In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether a short time or a long time, yes. I would to God that not only you, King Agrippa, but also all who hear me this day in this auditorium might become such as I am, except for these chains. 
So who is sane? Who is insane in the drama of this life that we're all living? Those who are represented by Festus or those who are represented by Paul? Insanity is to live for this present world while ignoring the rational reality that you have been created by a holy God and you're dying and you will face him one day. That's insanity. Festus, he was sincere in his insanity and so are millions of people at this moment. They're sincere. Festus, from the very dark room of his soul, he meant it when he said, Paul, you're insane. That's what the word myne means there in the Greek. You're nuts. You've lost your marbles. You're not thinking correctly. You're, you're out of your mind. Your great learning has driven you out of your mind. Festus was sincere. And so was Paul in his response. I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. But I'm speaking true and rational. Sincerity is not the measure of sanity. But truth and reality are the measures of whether one is sane or insane. Jim Elliot said the same thing as the Apostle Paul. He just said it in different words. You remember Jim Elliot? He's one of the five missionaries who was murdered on the beach in Ecuador trying to reach the tribe's people back in 1956. He was only 28 years old, but at age 22, he wrote in his journal, He is not a fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. To every believer who has come to Christ for this unimaginable salvation, those words make perfect sense. But to those who are still blinded to the truth, it makes no sense at all. Those who love the world, who are of the world, who love money, who love mammon, who live for things and for status and for the sinful pleasures of this life, they are the ones who are out of their mind. Success. That is a strange word. Success is one of the most ambiguous words I know. Festus, he's a governor. King Agrippa, Bernice, the military tribunes that are gathered, the prominent men of the city of Caesarea, they were all considered successful in the world's eyes. But every last one of them would be dead 
before the end of the first century. In fact, every single one of them have now been dead for at least 1,920 years. On the other hand, that day there was this small Jewish man who was in love with Jesus, who was willing to follow Christ to the cross and over and over again in this day was willing to make himself a fool in the world's eyes. That man was by far the most successful human being in that room that day. Young people, teenagers, you're in your 20s, beg you, see the world that way. See your life. See your decisions in the light of eternity. Trying to impress others with your own greatness is a deadly trap. You cannot serve God in mammon. You cannot love the world and the things in the world and God at the same time. Paul was not out of his mind. He was not crazy because he knew the truth. That he and everyone else in that auditorium that day were on the Titanic he knew Governor Festus and King Agrippa and Bernice and all of these prominent men and you and me and Paul himself. We're all on the Titanic. He knew they were all going down with the ship sooner or later to death. In judgment. And he knew that there's only one escape from what that future holds for each individual. He had that answer. He knew the only escape was through the man, Christ Jesus. He knew the only way to be delivered from what is to come was through placing your life your heart, your trust in Jesus Christ as your substitutionary sacrifice for your sins. And not only that, that your trust is in Him, Jesus, who conquered human death on your behalf by His bodily resurrection from the dead. Paul's audience, they had plenty of money they wore the best clothes. They ate the best food. They lived in the most comfortable conditions. Paul, he showed up wearing chains in Roman incarceration. But Paul, unless Luke was there with him or a few other Christians, but Paul was the sane one. And all of those who have come to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
Those are the ones who by God's unmerited mercy have been brought out of insanity to their senses. The sane person lives for eternity. Sane person lives in the light of the resurrection of Jesus, which guarantees their own future resurrection from the dead to enjoy His glory and happiness forever. That's the sane person. L listen to these words that, that, that Paul wrote to the believers in the church of Thessalonica. He says to them, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Just pause. This is why Paul says to Agrippa, I would that not only you, but everyone else here in the auditorium today would hear the gospel and believe and become a Christian. Why? Because this is the gospel. Listen to him. Those who do not obey King Agrippa, Governor Festus, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He, Jesus, comes on that day in order to be glorified in His saints and to be... Oh, what a wonderful day that'll be. Marvel that among all who have believed. He says to these Christians in Thessalonica, you, when the gospel came, you turned, that's repentance, you turned from God, or excuse me, to God, from idols, your false gods, in order to serve the living and the true God. And, and this is every one of our circumstances at this moment, in this world. And you wait. That's a Christian. We are living and working and evangelizing and worshiping through many trials and tribulations. As we, quote, wait for God's Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath which is to come. That's what Paul was preaching. And then, out of the blue, Festus yelled out, Paul, you're nuts! That's crazy talk! 
You're way too smart and way too educated, Paul, to be believing such things. And Paul soberly responded, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true, sober, rational words. Paul wasn't gullible. Paul wasn't shooting in the dark at some religious fabrication that helps you get along in life a little bit better. It helps you sleep better at night. His faith, his, his trust rested upon his own eyewitness experience of the resurrected Lord Jesus. That's what woke Paul up from his insanity to being in his right mind. For Paul, for, for all of us, this true sanity begins at new birth. You see, the insane, they don't know they're insane. That's part of their insanity. The insane don't know they're insane any more than those who are hooked up to all kinds of tubes and lying in a fluid in a comatose state don't know that they're hooked up to the matrix. But maybe one day they'll get the opportunity to take the red pill and awaken to reality. And if you don't know the movie The Matrix, okay, you do know Jesus. The gospel must come in words about Christ's life, his death, his resurrection. But left to yourself with that, you're still hooked up to your insanity. When the gospel comes with the Holy Spirit opening the eyes of your heart, you rise spiritually from death to life. You remember how Jesus had that conversation with that biblical scholar, Nicodemus, one night. He said, Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a person is born again, he or she cannot see the kingdom of God. And of course, he's baffled and Ask a few questions and Jesus gets down to it. Look, don't marvel, Nicodemus, that I said to you that you must be born anew. Why would you marvel? Think about it. The wind, right? It blows wherever it wants. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the wind, of the Spirit. That's the beginning of sanity. To be born again is to begin to live in the light of eternity. The perception of a Christian is 
utterly different than the way the world sees. If Paul were still of this world as he once was, but in the auditorium that day, if he were a worldly man, he would have thought that King Agrippa had it made. He's rich. He's successful. He's, he's powerful. And I, I, Paul, I'm just a prisoner. What do I have to offer? But Paul was born anew. Paul had different eyes now. Paul saw reality. He saw the way things really were. He saw the tragedy of King Agrippa. He saw that he was a slave of sin in darkness and God's condemnation lay over him. And Paul knew the solution for King Agrippa to enter eventually into everlasting happiness and joy. Oh, King Agrippa, whether it it's just a short time to get you to come to Christ or whether it's a very long time, I would to God that not only you but also everyone here today would become a Christian. Become as I am, except for these chains. Young people, do not be deceived. The vast majority of pop singers, music and movie icons, athletic idols, and all the sports, billionaires, YouTube sensations, the vast majority of them are on a tragic trajectory to an eternal misery. Before Paul was interrupted by Governor Festus, remember, he did make it clear that those who come to faith in Christ Jesus have a radical change of direction in the way they see and interpret the world, in the way they live and what they live for. Look back at verses 19 and 20. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, Jesus appearing and speaking to me, but I declared to Jews and to Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Before conversion, Paul or any of us, we were all in one way or another living for the world, for the things of the world. We were insane. But since coming to Christ, by God's mercy, the core of our being has been changed. Though our former person, our former man, our flesh, oh, it's there. We understand the temptations of sin and insanity. But at the core, we're different. 
We now have a genuine, deep down desire to please the Lord Jesus. To seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We have found the treasure in the field that Jesus talked about. We said, I, I want that more than anything. And thus we have turned away from the counterfeits in order that we may have life eternal. Paul described his own life of repentance this way. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Remember a couple weeks ago? Do you know Him? He goes on, for Christ's sake. I, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I consider them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Oh, your excellency, Festus. I'm not nuts. I'm not insane. Actually, Paul, by God's grace, unmerited, was the wisest man in the room. The goodness the free gift of forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ and the promise of sharing in His eternal glory and joy forever. That's what drives Christians to radical obedience. To die on a beach in Ecuador. Or to be in prison for two years in Caesarea to die in Africa before you turn 30. He is not a fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead. And we who are in him shall, shall be raised with him when he returns. And that's why Jesus says to every one of his sheep, come, follow me. The way he said it in Mark 8, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For, for who, whoever would say no, no, whoever would save his life in this world, will lose it. 
But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel's sake will save it for eternity. The Apostle Paul, who once hated this message, who killed and imprisoned many fellow Jews for believing this message, one day by God's sheer grace and mercy, he was turned. He was turned from insanity into crystal clear thinking and believing and living. Listen to the words of that small Jewish man in chains in that auditorium that day who's preaching to all of these well-to-do, powerful movers and shakers of this present world. He wrote the following words about four years earlier. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, He has shined in our hearts to give the light we see of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what led Paul to live as he did. To deny to deny to himself treating this world as God. He had a more rational now, deeper desire for happiness that is impossible down here. He didn't say, look what I did, look what I gave up. He was shooting for his joy forever. And thus he fought to not go insane again. He, he, he fought not to love sin. And thus it led him, particularly him, like many other millions of Christians throughout the centuries, that Love for Jesus led him to worldly pain, suffering. This is what, okay. He, he's shown the light in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And he goes on and says, therefore what? We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted. Paul's in chains right now. But we're not forsaken by God. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Now listen to his rationale. Sane rationale. Since we have the same 
spirit of faith according to what has been written, quote, I believed, and therefore I spoke. Hear him. We also believe the gospel. And therefore what? And therefore, we also speak it. Whether in prison, whether before all of those dignitaries, and the king and the governor on that day in that auditorium, we speak. And what he meant there is, it may cause much earthly pain and suffering to hold to the truth and speak the truth. But I'm not done with Paul's quote. He is not done. Because what he says next is the foundation. It's the reason. It's the power of how he goes on doing that until he takes his last breath. And so therefore, we also believe, therefore we also speak, the next word, knowing. It's a Greek participle. Because we know, we speak. Because we know something. And that's the essence of every Christian. We know that he who raised the Lord Jesus, he will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you, Corinthian church, into his presence. That's how people in their right That's what drove the Apostle Paul to be free from the love of money and of the world. The love of praise of men, the love of prestige, to loving his Savior. He banked all of his hope and marbles on the promises of the gospel. He will raise us. That's the message for all of us as we are on the Titanic. And it's tilting. Paul was not out of his mind. His life, his imprisonment here, his sufferings, his decisions, they all made perfect sense in the light of eternity. And so this Sunday morning, let me close saying to us at Sovereign Grace Fellowship, by the ongoing grace of God and by our ongoing feeding upon the Word of God alone and in community, in the midst of fellowship of the saints, let us go on living in the light of community, giving in the light of eternity, being single and doing our singleness 
in the light of eternity. Controlling our sexual natures in the light of eternity. Doing marriage in the light of eternity. And one day for many, choosing a mate to marry with a sane mind in light of eternity and go on sharing this glorious good news of Jesus Christ and salvation in him alone in the light of eternity. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in those of us who believe, who have been born again. And Lord, maybe even through this sermon will be that last lever pulled by the Spirit to bring another into the kingdom to see. Father, we thank you that even in the midst now of these strange Sundays for us believers all around the world, doing church through video feeds and live streams, it is amazing that as we open up to you even this Sunday morning, there in that living room and in that living room, in that bedroom, your presence is with us. Your power is with us. We thank you to the glory of your eternal Son. Amen.